Welcome to Broadway's Backbone with Brad Bradley, a podcast dedicated to the men and women of the ensemble, the chorus of dancers, singers, and actors that are the foundation of every Broadway musical. These often unsung gypsies are the hardest working people on the boards and are, well, Broadway's Backbone. Welcome to episode 76. My guest is Jacob Dickey. Hello, I'm sitting here with Jacob Dickey. How are you today? I'm doing good. We're actually currently in Utah, sitting next to the High School Musical 2 pool. Oh, yes. For all you musical theater fans, that's where it is. So I'm so excited you're here. You're currently on a leave of absence from the Broadway company of Aladdin. You go back shortly because you are out in Utah starring as Moses in Stephen Schwartz's Prince of Egypt. Mm -hmm. And you also did the Aladdin tour. I'm very excited that you're here because you're a very fun, interesting person. And thanks. So, but I want to know where you came from. How'd you get started? Okay. I come from a military family. My dad and my mom met in the Marine Corps, and then my dad stayed in. So I've actually moved all over the place. I was born in Oceanside, California. Oh, I'm from San Diego. I know, yeah. yeah. I was born in Oceanside. Yes. On Camp Pendleton, actually. I used to go camping there as a kid. Oh, really? Yes, I love that place. Yeah, I was there. We went there, and then we ended up moving back for like another three years, uh, a few years later. But um, I actually consider Virginia Beach my home just because I moved there junior year of high school and went to college in Virginia and my dad still lives there so that kind of feels like a home base which is rare for a military family because before that we only lived in places for one to four years max so Virginia Beach is my home I went to end up going to James Madison University for musical theater okay I definitely remember wanting to go anywhere else but Virginia (laughs) Because I was just, I don't know, I moved all over the place and Virginia didn't feel like home. And in my head, I'm like, the best schools are out of state. Which, you know, there are amazing schools everywhere, but I ended up going to James Madison just because it was the cheapest option. Yes. And it was the best option. And I loved it so much. And then that's kind of just got me on the professional path in musical theater. Did you sing and dance as a kid? Were you one of those? I did not dance. (laughs) (laughs) I did not dance. I did sing, though. I started singing in church. My family's Christian, conservative, Protestant. And so my first solo was at seven years old. I sang Amazing Grace. Oh. Mm-hmm. And the girl behind me, after I finished singing, I heard her say, he sings like a girl. <gasps> I remember not being affected by it. I was like, okay, cool. You didn't get the solo. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know if I actually thought that when I was seven, but looking back, I hope yeah. I got that. But yeah, so I started singing and then I ended up going to ch- big churches that actually had like theater programs per se. So we did bigger musicals. And then when I lived in Germany, for three years in high school, they had this incredible community theater that was a fully funded, full season community theater on an American base, which is very rare. I just got super involved, eighth grade, ninth grade. Oliver was my first actual musical. Ah, were you Oliver? In, no, I was in the ensemble. Okay. I think I understudied Artful Dodgers. Artful Dodgers, yes. I think I understudied him, but I don't know if I actually did. Oh. I think they just gave me the title. Right. Because I was 13. So were you teased and bullied as a kid? No. No. I actually wasn't. Except for that one girl. Wow. Except for that one girl. That's, yeah, well, I mean... That's amazing. Well, I, I also simultaneously did sports. Mm. So I was kind of in this middle ground of, you know, I mean, younger kids are stupid and mean. Yeah. But I was in the middle ground of being a jock who also did musicals. And so it was kind of like, at least in the high schools I went to, there was always a pass. As long as you did sports, it was like, no big deal. Like, you're the cool guy. Now theater's cool. Okay. But then once I got to junior year, I had to choose between soccer and theater, and I just loved theater, but it never really affected. I never got bullied or anything like that. You seem like you were probably very popular. Were you one of the popular kids? Yeah, I was popular, but I didn't run in the popular crowd, if that makes sense. Like, mm. I had my group of friends, but I was well-liked. Right. Yeah, I was well-liked. And my brothers are only two years apart, so I always kind of had a, another brother, and we kind of all had our success in high school okay so my my older brother he had a great reputation so then i automatically had a great reputation and then it went on to my younger brother austin and we all had our different things so it kind of helped to have that support system already in place oh nice yeah so i guess you're kind of used to the moving around to show business because you did that as a kid yeah so you're always living out of a suitcase yeah I, i actually have said a few times that i think military life prepared me for theater which it's funny because you wouldn't think that, but right. exactly for what you just said, I, I was used to knowing it was going to be a short amount of time and being like, all right, I have to embrace what I'm doing here, embrace this place and make friends. Yeah. Yeah, I got good at that. And I enjoyed it. I have a few friends that I've held on to since I was seven and I haven't seen them in 10 years. Wow. I mean, any military kid is used to that. So you're just used to staying in touch. And that has really helped with acting, especially with these, these type of contracts. 
where you have to make a real intense relationship and then be like, all right, maybe I'll see you in Pearl. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> we'll talk about your incredible worth ethic in a bit, but you mm. also have a great discipline. Do you think that discipline comes from military? Yeah, mm, I think it comes from my parents. I mean, it does make sense. Yeah, I guess it would right. be military because my, both my parents were in the military. Well, I know my parents always instilled in me the importance of just hard work mm -hmm. and the importance of doing your best in whatever work you're given. And it just ends up being better for you mentally and right. emotionally. And I don't know, I just was raised put everything you have into any little thing you're doing. And that's for me has been in also survival jobs. That's always helped me just to be like, all right, great. This is not what I want to do, but I'm going to make it the best I can. And for me, that's just being good at the job. Yeah. So I think that's, that's definitely been instilled in me from my parents. My mom and my dad came from very different backgrounds. My dad was rich Southern Baptist. My mom is poor Puerto Rican from the Midwest, but they both have similar work ethics. They're mm. both the youngest in their family, I think. That's kind of caused them to prove themselves in a way. It's interesting that they're both joined the military because they're very different personalities, yeah. but their work ethic is very similar. So mm. I think that's what, you know, kind of passed down through me and my brothers. Well, you threw me with one word when you described your parents was conservative yeah. because I've waved at them. I haven't like, yeah. but they seem so accepting. You and your brother, I don't want to yeah. out you, but... Oh, no, I'm gay. Yes. Yeah, and you, you talked about having a gay brother. I have a gay brother. Yeah. And your parents seem amazing. I guess being here in Utah, the, the, the word conservative has a, a bad connotation. Sure. I was like, if they're conservative, how do they accept their two gay sons? But obviously, that word doesn't mean that in the whole country. I mean, I agree with you. I think I still, even when I say conservative, because it's a good way to describe my upbringing, it's good to describe my parents. But I often have to be like, but... Like they were conservative, but they were amazing parents and they were very supportive of what we wanted to do. I mean, we all do. My younger brother's a Marine. Mm. My older brother's a chef who hated school, even though he was good at it. So, like, we've all kind of had different paths in our life and they've supported them individually. Yeah. With the gay thing, that was actually, that has been a process. Mm. It was never, I mean, my older brother came out to me first when I was a junior in high school. And then I guess it was a few months later to my parents. But that was a big deal. They never were like, we're gonna, you know, get out of my house, you're an abomination, never once. But they were very much like, this is a phase. Mm. We love you, we don't support your decisions, quote unquote. And that was kind of a heavy silence that fell over the house for a little while. Cause he was still living at home. Mm. Even though he had graduated, he was figuring out what he wanted to do. He paved the way in many ways for me. And he struggled with it a lot more. Mm. I mean, cause he was the first one to do it, to come right. out. It was a big shock for our family, which I don't know how big of a shock it was, because it was not a shock for me <laughs> that Cody was coming out. But it was a big shock amidst their denial, probably. Right. And interestingly enough, my parents actually got a divorce six years ago now, so they've been together for 27 years, and that was a huge shock. But from that, now that they've been separated, they've kind of both become more accepting. Oh, okay. They were always, I mean, and when I came out, it was the same thing. It was like, kind of expected it. We love you, we don't really support this choice because you know to my dad my dad really you know to him it was still a choice mm. then once they got divorced it was I think they were just kind of were like yeah okay so there's no reason not to love my children fully and want to be with them at all times regardless of who they're with and I think that's just kind of evolved which is awesome absolutely I mean it's a great thing that's come from the divorce especially with my mom she's just like fully on board with our life and who we're with and she just wants us to be happy and yeah it's been an interesting journey from conservative to that yeah well, were they stage parents at all? No. I mean, I'm the only one in my family who is a theater. My older brother sings and is actually an incredible jazz pianist, but he didn't do that for a living. My younger brother, we, you know, we're very musical to the point of driving me to rehearsals and right. auditions and stuff, but yeah. they were never, you know, my mom's never been on backstage being like, hey, like go to this audition, which I know a lot of my friends have moms to do that. My mom does that. Yeah, which mom. is great. <laughs> and my younger brother had it much easier coming out than me. Oh, yeah, yeah of course. Yeah. Yeah, of She's course. She's like, ah, I've been through this before. Yeah. Like, That's not fair. <laughs> oh, yeah. I know. I think, I mean, I didn't even really know how much of a struggle it was for my brother. Right. Until years later when we were talking about it. And I think he had a little bit of bitterness toward me just naturally because I came out and I was at a musical theater program in a liberal arts school away from home. So I was just like, yes, I'm gay. And that was it. <laughs> and he was like, wait, what, you're not struggling? I'm like, no, I'm surrounded by gay people. Like, yeah. this is what it is. But actually, like, no, my parents were never really stage parents. Supportive, but never really know. They don't really know about the world. They get more of it now, right. a little bit. Right, there's still people in my family who see it as a hobby. Yeah. You know, that they're like, well, just come to this event, miss the show. I was like, it's my job. Yeah. It, but then it's nice when you have people that fully get it. Oh, know? sure. Um, 
and after a while they're like oh he's 40 now and he's still doing this hobby yeah paying and bills making money yeah what? interesting how did you get your equity card i actually got my equity card through aladdin you did yeah i want to hear the whole aladdin story because okay. the rumor mill is different yeah sure so i know you well i don't i don't know i, I was going to make up something and you tell me it was okay wrong. so uh, <laughs> so you made your broadway debut with aladdin yeah all right so tell me the whole aladdin adventure i went in for the national tour November of, oh gosh, I don't remember the year, 2016, 2016? Yeah, and I was, went through other rounds for Aladdin, was in finals for that, and it didn't happen, but I left a good impression. And then in January of that year, they invited me to do what's called Aladdin Camp. Aladdin and Camp? they have Aladdin Camp, they also have Genie Camp, and it's, it's just, it's fully to just have a stockpile of who could potentially play Aladdin, or, you know, be a quick replacement. Because there's so many companies now. Yeah. They do it a lot with Genie. I think this was maybe only the second one they did with Aladdin. It might have been the first. It's just four days of just working on the audition material mm. with associate directors and music directors. And then at the end of those four days, and you see the show. And then at the end of those four days, usually it's an, a video audition. You do the whole packet. But Casey Nicola happened to be in town, so it was... He was oh. like, I'll just come and see it live and not worry about the video. So we came and saw it, and they were very clear, like, we don't have any availability right now. This is just for the future. You'll hear from us if something comes up. Yeah. And then two weeks later, I got a call from my agent, and they were like, there's an immediate replacement opportunity for Ensemble Understudy Aladdin. The only problem is it's a 10 or 1. I just was like, it was a 10 or 1 up to a B. I'm mm. like, I'm not a 10 or 1. I'm, I'm a fake 10 or 2. <laughs> and I can pop up there, but I can't stay up there. But they still brought me in for a music work session, and it was with music director and associate music director, and we just went through the ensemble music. And I was like, didn't do great, because yeah. it was really high, but they seemed very chill about it. And we're just like, don't worry about it, like, it's great. Like, we'll work on it. And then three hours later, my agent called me and was like, hey, so tomorrow you're gonna come in for a fitting, and then they'll have you see the show, and then Sunday you start rehearsal. Wow. <laughs> yeah. So it was truly a world when I had to call in because I had a shift at my job the next day. The call me like, I'm not coming. I'm going to be on Broadway. <laughs> Goodbye. That is an amazing story. Yeah, it was crazy. I ended up learning Aladdin first mm. because that was the main reason they rushed it so quickly because that was the time when Adam Jacobs was leaving to do the tour. Okay. And they actually were going to have a gap between Adam Jacobs and the next Aladdin who we didn't know at the time was Tully Leung. We, we thought it was going to be him. So they were very worried about that. And then I actually ended up the day after my put-in for Aladdin, making my Broadway debut as Aladdin at the Saturday matinee. Wow. Yeah, which, looking back, is insane. Yes. But I just, I just done my put-in, and I just had, like, fresh notes the day before, so it couldn't have come at a better time. Right. I was just like, oh, cool, this is what I know. And so I did, I made my debut, and it actually was on my boyfriend's birthday. So he came to see the show on his birthday. Oh. And I made my debut as Aladdin. And then a week later, in my actual official debut as a, the ensemble. Okay. <clears throat> How did the tour come about? It was just all perfect timing. I ended up, like I said, there was that gap between Adam Jacobs and Tel Young. Yeah. One of the understudies, Josh, was on for Aladdin on Broadway, and then I actually played Aladdin on Broadway for a month. You did? I did, yeah, before Telly came in. And then, timing-wise, Adam Jacobs took a medical leave from the tour towards the end of my New York run as Aladdin, and then I actually had to leave that a week early to go out and cover for Adam Jacobs for two months on the tour in Chicago. So I didn't really tour, I was, but I was on the tour in Chicago. Wow. Yeah. And then I went back to the ensemble. <laughs> yeah, well, that's a, a question. What's funny is that your associate director is a good friend of mine, Patrick Wetzel, and yeah. his mom had this saying, after you're playing a principal and you have to go back in the ensemble, she's all, she would say, back to the fireplace, Cinderella. Yeah. And it just was, and like one time she said that to me, and, and I was so shocked, but that's how it feels. Yeah. And there's no way to deny that. No. I mean, how is that ego-wise? You are Aladdin, then you're Aladdin on the tour, and then you have to come back, and I don't know how your ensemble track is, but I've seen that show, <clears throat> and it's huge and beautiful, but you just see a sea of people. Yeah, a sea of color and, and so, sparkly stuff. Yeah, if you know a person, you, you can find them. Maybe, And watch yeah. them. I mean, you're dancing and singing and everything, but you, you're not set pieces like in some shows, but you are definitely part of the environment. Yeah, totally, 100%. So, how do you do that? I think for me, coming back to the ensemble, it was almost a relief, just because it was my first, it was in the first six months of my first Broadway show, I was thrown into playing Aladdin for a month and then playing Latin for two months. And I was 
even though I love playing Aladdin and I would totally play him again in a heartbeat, at the time I was like, okay, like I could take a break from leading a show because looking back, I really hadn't built up the stamina, Mm. which is a true thing, like vocally and physically. And Aladdin is a very active role. By the end of that run, I was kind of like, I could definitely take a break. So it was nice at the beginning right to be back in the ensemble with my friends and i mean <laughs> like you said we we're on stage a lot but we're in the background and we just kind of talk about whatever we want we just goof around and yeah. we do our jobs really well but that's part of doing our jobs is just to have fun yeah so it was a nice little relief then as it went along I, you know I, I did have some sort of ownership over aladdin because i was the last one on broadway to play it and then when i left <clears> telly came in i just felt a few months in i was kind of like okay yeah, it'd be nice to be back up Oh. Aladdin. Yeah. And you check the call board to see, like, if there's anything yeah, scheduled. I mean, they didn't let you know. I ended up, I, again, it was weird timing. When I came back, Kelly had just started. But then when I came back, there was a slew of, like, him doing a gig. And so I ended up going on quite a bit immediately for Aladdin. And then I also started covering Kasim, which is one of his best friends. Oh, all right. So I actually got a lot of on-stage time for that. And it wasn't until the winter of that year that I was like, really got the full experience of being in the ensemble for a month and then suddenly going on for a lead, which is my least favorite thing in the world. It's horrible. Yeah. You just get so comfortable. And I don't know how swings do it. Swings are the craziest thing in the world to me. Unbelievable. Non-stop, different roles, every single show. And I, I just can't fathom it because even though I, I know the role and I only know I have to know Aladdin and Kasim, it's still after like that amount of time to go on suddenly, is, it's very nerve-wracking. Yeah. We had a girl go on last night in a boys track that she'd never covered before. Uh, no, no. Yeah, and it's, I mean, my brain doesn't work like that. Mm-mm. My track and a track I cover, preferably eventually just my track. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. So my next slew of questions, no, how did you get a leave of absence from a lab? That was a unique circumstance. Usually the rule is, with Disney companies at least, is you're supposed to be with the company for two years before you can request a leave, or before they'll approve a leave. You can always request a leave. Right. But I auditioned for this show, and, and I knew that if I got this show that I was going to take it regardless of right. what the situation with Aladdin is, because Moses has been a dream role since I was a kid. And it was just the team, I mean, Steven and Philip, the chance to play this role in, I mean, in a new version of the musical, even right. if it was the third iteration of it. It was too good to pass up, so I, I ended up, when I got the role, I put in my notice. Oh. Because I just I just knew I wasn't going to get a leave of absence because I hadn't even, I think I just passed my year mark with them. But I put in my notice and then a few days later they gave me a leave of absence. That's just kind of how it happened. Well, I'm, I'm glad. Yeah, me too. I mean. I've heard you're great as Aladdin, but oh. I can say hands down you're amazing as Moses. Oh. <laughs> no, I'm serious. And yeah. I don't know if you read reviews, but there was one that said Stephen Schwartz should always take Jacob Dickey with him for the rest of this thing. It did. <laughs> That'd uh, be great. You know, especially knowing like what they have intention. So for people who don't know, there's uh, uh, we're in Utah and there's this huge outdoor amphitheater called Tucan. Yeah. It's kind of the most recent version of Prince of Egypt yeah. that was based on uh, Stephen Schwartz's film. Mm-hmm. Stephen actually got to come here and work with them because they're really trying. I guess they wanted to have a future in West End or goodness knows. So this was kind of a training ground and. Moses is an epic, epic role. Yeah. You, I mean, you leave stage to, you know, drink water and do a costume change and you come right back on. Mm -hmm. And you you are fantastic from start to finish. So did you get to work with Steven a lot? We worked not a ton because it was, he came in, I mean, he was here for actually longer than I thought he was going to be here. He was here for almost all of Tech Week, as well as the designer run. So I had a few note sessions with him. We worked through a lot of the stuff we ended up working through was with Ramses and Moses because Mm. we had the Ramses situation at the beginning of this contract. We had a new Ramses when Steven was back. Right. So he pretty much was working a lot with both of us and with him, which made sense because he had four days to learn a role. Right. A leading role. Actually, the longest time we worked with him was One of Us, when he was redoing One of Us, which was incredible. So incredible. It was crazy. That was, was like one of my favorite career moments yeah. that I've had. He was reworking it, and we're just there in that little room, reworking yeah. a full new number, which was amazing. Yeah. And I love that creative process. I mean, yeah. so many people don't love that, but I like it when it's helmed by someone that knows what he's talking about. A hundred percent. Yeah. I mean, it's his baby, and yeah. he, knew, he knows what it wants it to look like. And it was also, what was really amazing to me about that is that he fully acknowledged that it was problematic. Yes. Which I loved because he was like, yeah, we were wrong. Let's try to fix it. Which I, you know, as the biggest pet peeve is when people want to admit they're wrong. Yes. And try to blame everybody else for it. And he was like, nope, this is me. 
let's do what we can. And I loved that. That's yeah, incredible. me too. I mean, it was really exciting. Speaking of stamina, I mean, we the schedule here is like almost every other night. Yeah. But what you do vocally challenging is really difficult. But then in the second act, you basically have a, a breakdown as you're singing, and it's a song yeah. about regret and sorrow. I have to talk to Steven. It's a PTSD song. Yeah. And you, your performance is unbelievable. Oh, but you. you also, you cry for like 20 <laughs> minutes on stage and sing. It's very impressive. How has that as an actor and then also just as an athlete been for you? It's been an adjustment. This type of contract is very rare, and it's a total blessing to have a guaranteed day off between each show, usually more than a day. Yeah. So that, for my voice has been great but it's also been interesting because i'm sure as you know the more you do a show the more comfortable with it you get and especially with this kind of role with vocally specifically the placement is always changing mm. for me and it took me i would say halfway through the contract to really feel confident to not have to think about okay where are you standing here and how are you going to place this note for me, those days off had been a blessing and a curse. Yeah. I would be interested to see, you know, if, fingers crossed, this goes on anywhere, how would it be like to do this show eight times a week? Because, like you said, it's a beast. And I am not a vocal machine. Like, I am not. I'm not the type of person who can go out all night and wake up in Delta High A. Yeah, I don't understand those people. Oh, no, I don't. I wake up every morning with morning voice and have to warm up throughout the day. So it, that would be an interesting challenge. So that, for me, getting into the rhythm of the show was difficult but then also the heat and the dryness was absolutely difficult yeah which now makes me be like oh wow i can do anything like if i can do this show absolutely out in this environment then put me in air conditioning like no big deal yeah so that's been nice yeah (laughs) to know to push your limits and to really see where you can go with the whole emotional thing though i'm also not gifted with the ability to be able to sing and cry at the same time Mm. So that's actually been kind of a puzzle to figure out, okay, where can I really let out my emotions and when do I have to pull it back? There was even like a week in the middle of this contract, but I was getting emotional later on in the rest of my life, mm. which is the song I sing with regret and everything. And that was not helping me place that final note, which is the highest note I sing in the show. Yeah. So then I had to go back in and just dial it back. And almost there was a week where I really had to disconnect from that song just so I can find a placement again which was an interesting experience. But now, yeah, now, but again, doing it over and over again, now I know. Right. Okay, I can cry here, pull myself together here, place that note, and then when you believe is I'm not singing any of that. So that just allows me to just react. And you're just crying like a baby. (laughs) Like a baby. Sometimes I don't, though. Sometimes I get really in my head. No. No, I love it, because I play your brother. Yeah. Sometimes it's fun to make fun of you mm. I make fun of you the whole show so yes. in a loving way in a loving way. loving way <laughs> but there was two weeks there that I was crying during that number yeah that was not fun I don't like emotion no um it was great <laughs> the first time I turned around and saw you I was like oh my god and then I cried started crying even harder I know I was like what is happening <laughs> what is happening to this the tech experience for this show was mammoth yeah we flood the stage there's there's camels there's fireworks there's the whole plagues and there's huge set pieces, but it's not automated. It's no. these poor, amazing, oh I call them kids, but they're, you know, I mean, young men and they, women yeah. pushing these huge set pieces. And people that I like, love and respect lost their cool during this process. Mm. And it was really amazing to watch it crumble and people just being wild. And there in the center of the storm was you. <laughs> and you were the most professional, inspiration, <laughs> smiling person. And it was such an example to me that I was like, look at all of us are are complaining about BS, really, and look at the example that we have. I mean, you really took on the leadership role, not only as Moses on stage, but just as a person off stage as an example. And that alone blew my mind. Yeah. I mean, how were you able to do that on top of, I mean, it was a tornado going around you. And yeah. I, I never once saw you flinch. Oh. You know, but you have, this, you have this amazing smile that you would do all during tech. And I love that because there's a lot of new equity members. Yeah. There's some young non-union, there's some kids. And they were able to look to you and be like, that's what a professional is. Oh, wow. That's awesome. So, I mean, how did you do it? <laughs> well, no, I just did it. I think it, I just kind of have the personality that if, if a situation is in any sort of part of my life, if it's really rough and I know it's going to be stressful, it's just easier for me to go through it and just do it and not focus on what could potentially be very frustrating. Right. Because I've been through techs and, and I've been through some really crappy tech and this was one of the hardest techs I've been through. Yeah. I don't know. That's just kind of my way of dealing with 
stressful situations is just kind of like let it roll off my back. If it's something I really need to address, I'll address it. Right. But I didn't really feel like there was anything that was unbearable. Right. Being in the heat was during the day was the hardest part for me. Yeah. Like I'm fine standing on stage for an hour in the dark. <laughs> like that's no big deal. But if the heat was a little stressful, and I think I hide my stress. There were times where I was annoyed. Yeah. But I just know, like you said, from my experience, when I see somebody who is, when I've been in the ensemble and I see somebody who is supposed to be our leader freak out or lash out, it's just never good. It never solves anything. Right. It just makes everybody else, gives everybody else the, even more of a reason to be upset. And so I think, because I've admired people like that, I strive to be that type of person. Yeah. It's good that I'm glad that that helped. Oh, no, 100%. <laughs> oh, cool. 100%. And I really would have to say, like, 90% of the people noticed it. Oh, wow. But I think those 10% of people, they don't notice stuff like that because they're, they're a different type of people. Yeah. And that's that's fine. But I was glad. I was like, he's not only stepping up to the plate, it's oh, it's impressive. So thank you. Because there was that's even cool. moments where I was like, I can't. You know, you know, what I, is happening? Like, <laughs> uh, and I was like, you know what? If he's not complaining, <laughs> then I'm not saying anything. But I think also, I just know that even though our job is hard in tech, stage management gets so much crap during tech. So especially much. Especially this. It was so much stress and everybody's anxiety and tension was so high. Yeah. And you could feel it. Yeah. I'm the type of person, like, if, if I can make somebody else's job easier amidst them getting attacked for so many little things, then yeah, why not? Yeah. And I think that I've done shows where there's an added pressure, like, this could have a future. Look at the writers are there mm -hmm. and there, but you have to realize that none of that really matters. Like you have to concentrate on the work. Yeah. You know, and none of us, you know, even if it goes to the West End, I mean, we're all American equities. So it's like they could cast it all. You know what I mean? So people. Oh my put, gosh! Nothing's guaranteed. Nothing, yeah. Nothing's no. guaranteed ever. But it was like there was a a stress of like Stephen's gonna hate it, and I'm like. Steven's an artist too. He gets this more than most of us does. He, how <laughs> yeah. many texts has he been through? They've been doing this longer than we have. Yeah. But I mean, at the same time, what they've created and when you part the Red Seas at the end. Oh, it came together beautifully. Like, yes. it's incredible. And everybody says it's incredible. And yeah. You just have to hope through that tech that it's going to oh, work it does, out. You know? And I, I've never had a tech that it, we've never been ready, even if it was a mess. Right. So I think that's also helped. Right. To be positive, like, I know it's going to come together because it has to come together. It has to come it together. It has to. At some know? point, it's going to come together, so no. that was helpful. Yeah. So this is so random, but I wanna, my favorite moment with you in the show, I've never even told you. I've been, I play a lot of the sidekicks this season, yeah. and in Prince of Egypt, I'm the Jewish brother that has ridiculous funny lines yeah. for no reason. So I, as an actor, tried like, I've been trying to squeeze every joke out of everything. Yeah, sure. And they also have been like, the show's really heavy, you have to try to be funnier. And I was like, okay. So there's one moment that I was trying to make funny and funny and it wasn't working. And then I realized it was a good acting lesson for me is to realize that I wasn't the funny one at that moment. I had the setup for your punchline. And it wasn't working because I wasn't setting you up. So when I say, how are we gonna cross without ships? Oh. And you say, I didn't mean for you to question me right now. It doesn't get a huge laugh, and, yeah. but I had a kid come see the show early on and just say, I loved it when Moses was like, I didn't mean question my decisions right this second. And I was like, that's what it is. And it was a moment of, for me, as a selfish actor, realizing that when you are playing the comic relief, sometimes it's your job to set up someone else for a joke. Yeah, sure. So I always love that, just because it was also like a growing experience. So I was like, why isn't this working? I was like, because you're not the funny one at that moment. Amazing. But whenever there's like titters, it just makes me laugh. Now we have two more, and I've ruined it. <laughs> now no one will laugh again. No, but I think that it's fun like that, because I know when people give you like, this is the punchline, this is how yeah. it's set up. I know on Broadway it's very... Oh, yeah. But this was so new. I don't think I was even thinking that Moses is funny right you know because I was like thinking only about Aaron you volley as a actor yeah. so much you're connected your eye contact mm -hmm. so I mean it seems like you enjoy things when they're different yeah like any type of actor like when something is set I like that it's set mm -hmm. but I do enjoy when something's different and especially in this type of show like you said it's a very heavy show and Moses doesn't get a lot of opportunity to be I mean, the beginning of the show, it's a little more lighthearted when he's young, but he pretty much quickly turns into a very dramatic situation. So I enjoy any amount of joking or, or silliness that Moses can be involved in. Yeah. And I think to ignore that would just be silly. Yeah. Because why not? Like, yeah. There's so much emotional stuff that goes on in this show. 
that Moses is in the center of. And I think it's important to show that he can joke, especially with you at the end. Yeah. As your brother, because we have so much tension throughout the whole show. Yeah. And it breaks during when you believe. I love that moment. And I have brothers, so I'm like, yeah, yeah, of course we'd be joking with each other. Yeah. Even after this yeah. genocide that just happened, yeah. we, we will joke through it. Yeah. I, see, I mean, I think I love regional theater for the fact that you're allowed to fall on your face. Yeah. You're, well, you, I think you're allowed to on Broadway. You just get a triple. Yeah, sure. um, you're not allowed mm-hmm. to mess up. Mm-hmm. But here, you're allowed to be, you're still, it's, I think, no matter where you are in your career, you're always striving to get better. Mm-hmm. So I think that that's exciting in, when you're given that freedom to be like, oh, I'm going to try something different tonight. Yeah. Because you're not allowed to do that in Broadway. No, not really. I mean, my only Broadway has been Aladdin, right. which is very much a tracked show. Like, right. do it the same way. And they, there's a little bit of flexibility when personality comes into it, mm. but not a ton. And so it is really nice to just have all the freedom that we've had yeah. to create our characters in a sense. Yeah, that's what's exciting to know that there's a template that we were a part of. So yeah. no, no matter what, we helped create something. I think that's what's exciting. Yeah, and what's know? cool is from here on out, whoever plays our parts next would be like, Oh, well, this part was funny when they did it, so maybe we should try to make it yeah, funny. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so now, after, like, getting this huge curtain call as Moses, when mm. people jump up and stand for you because you're so good, <laughs> you're about to go back into the background of yeah. Azkabar. Is that yeah, how you yeah, say yeah. Agrabah. Agrabah. I think you mixed up the Harry Potter Azkaban with Agrabar. <laughs> That'd be an interesting world. It would. And not that you've mentally prepared for that at all, but I mean, it is in like five days we're done. Yeah. Are you ready for that? I'm, you know, I'm ready to be back home and I have definitely made an incredible family at Aladdin. Some of my best friends are in the show. So I'm excited to get back to that family and that experience. It will be really interesting going back to the ensemble. I think it helps that they're totally different shows. Yeah. Coming from when I was Aladdin on tour back into Aladdin Ensemble, that was, after a while, that was a little difficult to accept. But I think it'll be easier. We'll see. <laughs> we'll see. <laughs> Again, it'll be nice to have the pressure taken off. Yeah. You know, always looking for the next job, so. Yeah. But it is very nice to have Aladdin as a oh day job, if you will. Absolutely. Like, that is incredible. Yeah. So, this question will probably make you completely awkward, but... You're a very handsome, attractive man. <laughs> and how has that played into your career as, and, and now how has that also become a priority to maintain? I mean, three of my biggest roles, including Moses, have been half naked on stage, half the show. Yes. Or all the show. Yes. So it has clearly become part of my career, my body and how I look. It's been interesting. I always kind of expected I would be pinned as like the pretty guy. Mm. That's what my teachers would tell me. That's what my professors would tell me and looking at business that's kind of where I fit in but it is interesting like even when in the question that you gave me beforehand is it Sky, Aladdin, Moses I was like oh wow yeah yeah I have been they're all body and face yeah it's just interesting what I appreciate about Moses is that even though he is shirtless it isn't about his sexuality right which is so amazing yeah because it's just about that was what they wore that's what they wore in Egyptian times happened to be half naked but even though it isn't about his sexuality I do feel this pressure to look good in that skirt and choker. Yeah. And it's just naturally inherent. And I think it also, you know, definitely comes from Aladdin because Aladdin, it is about his sexuality. He's a sexy young guy. Yeah. Especially with the production, they've infused more sexuality into Mm. it than the movie. It's not racy, but it is definitely about body and sweat and sand. And so I think because of coming from that, I do feel the pressure. It does suck. Most of the leading men on Broadway are beautiful men. They're men. And I think maybe that's changing a little bit. I mean, you look at Dear Evan Hansen, you have a young, not characteristically physically fit dude. I mean, they're playing high schoolers. Yeah. But that's a nice relief yeah. to have a leading man be that or oh, even a person of color. That kind of shift that's happening is really wonderful. But it's Broadway. It's about making money. It's, yep. Theater's still about selling tickets. So I think that's been a learning thing for me that, oh, okay, I will be pigeonholed into this. And I don't want to be. I like to use my appearance to my advantage, but I don't always love the roles that are written for that type of person. Mm. And I found especially, not even with the shows that I've booked, but with the shows that I've gone in for. With TV, actually, that was a big one. I started going for TV last year. I was a little taken aback because every role was like the sexy young boyfriend of the leading woman. Mm. Or like, which is interesting because there aren't that many leading women roles. Yeah. I think maybe because last year with the shift of the Me Too movement, there's a lot of leading roles, at least in the pilot season, which is amazing. Yeah. 
but I was always going in for like the bad boy yeah who like has an affair with the lead woman or who has dark secrets but is very sexy that was like an eye-opener yeah especially for how I'm seen in television and theater while they overlap it's almost more it's way more of a typecast in television yeah theater has a little more flexibility I think I don't know I feel like I'll probably be shirtless in many shows which will force me to be in good shape or try to be in good shape yeah <laughs> no it's hard when that has to be part of your regimen yeah. just as much as voice lessons dance class I mean I'm finding the eating part is the hardest oh yes actually in Aladdin we have these bunkers downstairs where we get dressed because we can't get up to our dressing rooms between scenes my pod has become the snack pod oh which is great but also not great because we just have endless amount of snacks yeah and as a performer you have to be like i can have like one of these yeah but i'm shirtless eight times a week so it's it's always in the back of your mind even you know it's funny even it's even above like doing it for health reasons yeah it's just doing it for appearance yeah which sucks completely and in the end it's better for you anyway because you're eating better yeah i like to think i have a balance when it comes to staying physically fit and also just enjoying life honestly like if i look good in a costume i look good in a costume that's great i'm not the type of person who wants to have zero percent body fat and i also don't think that's the type of actor i want to be yeah because if you look at the actors who are shredded they're known for being shredded. Yep. I would like to be known for being attractive, but also talented. Yes, which you are. Oh, thank you. <laughs> just, 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 just so you know. Oh, thank um, you. Well, that's why Moses has been such a gift. It's a dream role. Yeah, but you go from being shirtless to being like in a head-to-toe robe. <laughs> like, Fully layered, covered up in like, agony. Like you can't even see like no. basically your fingers. Yeah. It goes to the extreme. They didn't do the beard on you, which... They did, which they took off. Yes. Yeah, that was interesting. Yeah, you don't need it. No, I mean... I have it. Ah. You have it. You look great in it. <laughs> Another thing about appearance, there's been, the, the race card has been big yeah. in this industry. It's been big in this country. Have you felt discrimination against being a half Puerto Rican? What have the challenges been? Well, I know I have been very privileged because I can appear white mm. and I can appear Puerto Rican. Mm. It's known as ethnically ambiguous. I have not, at least to my face, I have not experienced a lot of discrimination. I think that just has a lot, like you said, and I know and I'm aware it has to do with my physical appearance and it has to do with maybe my name, Jacob Dickey. Mm -hmm. It's very white. Were you ever teased for the name? I was teased for Dickey. Yeah. Yeah. But it was like, I was also homeschooled, so I didn't get a lot of bullying for that reason until seventh grade. Oh, that's the reason. Yeah, until seventh grade, though. (laughs) (laughs) And then I went to public school. So I got teased for that name. But no, I, at least in my career, it's been to my advantage, which kind of sucks because there are so many incredibly talented Hispanics and African-American who come off immediately as their ethnicity and that's all people can see. Right. So I feel like I've been very blessed in the sense that people don't necessarily, you know, it depends on what room I'm walking into, but I, I kind of just fall right in the middle. Right. And so I can go in for roles. Sometimes people call me in for, you know, they call for a Caucasian, they'll sometimes call me in because I can look like a Caucasian guy with dark features. Then I also can always go in for the roles that are non-white. Right. So I think I, I've just been very lucky in that sense. And it's gotten me my jobs. I mean, I got Aladdin because I look like Aladdin. Moses has to be it. Moses has to be yeah. well, he should ethnic. Be. He yeah. should be. So far in my career, I haven't faced that discrimination. Maybe it's occurred behind the scenes. Right. Maybe I haven't gotten called in for roles because of how I look, I'm sure. Yeah. That's kind of how it works. It is interesting talking about race just because I, I truly feel like I've had white privilege my whole life. Right. Because I never got bullied for it. I never felt racially profiled for whatever reason. Now people just turned off this podcast because of you. I know, now they're like, what the? <laughs> Get out of here, you bitch. How dare you? <laughs> but it's true. I can't no, lie no, about but, it. No, that, no, that's great. Yeah. So, for the longest time, I struggled with social media mm. because I'm a little bit older and I was like, no. And now I'm trying to get better at it. You're pretty good at it. I mean, you even do stories. I don't know. I, yeah. I have no idea what the stories are. I watch your story and I'm like, what's the difference between a story and just posting something? Yeah. But how have you used it as a tool for your career? Or do you? I do and I don't. I've had this discussion many times with many different friends because it is becoming a business tool. It is a business tool. Yeah. And I have a few friends who view it solely as a business tool and they post what they want people to see, mm-hmm. which everybody does. Right. But more structured around like, I this is my type and this is how I want to be seen in the theater world. So this is what I'm going to post. And I don't really tend to do that. I love social media. I think it's fun. And I kind of just view it as an expression of who I am. So in that sense, I think it's helped me just be open about who I am with. And, you know, I've got quite a few followers from being Aladdin. That's where I got the bulk of my followers. So they're young, mainly young women or young kids who want to be Aladdin or be in that world. 
And so I do have to be, a, there is an awareness of what I'm posting, but it's less so of like, oh, I can't post this because of my followers, or I don't want to seem like that. It's more like, oh, I want my followers to see this. Like, right. I want my followers to see that I'm a gay man in a happy relationship. Yes. That's not anything that I've ever wanted to hide for my career. And I think that's such an important thing for young people to see, is that you can be whoever you want to be and be successful. And so for me, social media is really about expressing who I truly am right. and allowing whoever's following me to see that. And then they can unfollow me if they want to see that. Right. And I have gotten, I get many people who follow me immediately after a show and then probably like a few days later unfollow me. Right. Maybe it's because I'm gay. Maybe it's because I cuss every now and then. Who knows? I like to think it's a, a positive yeah. impression. I'm leaving yeah, a positive yes. impression on somebody. Oh, I think you are. Oh, good. I don't like to take it too seriously. I do edit my pictures and I, I do like check to see how many followers I have because it's just like part of our society now. Yeah, no, I got an audition notice for some random like Costco or whatever, mm -hmm. and you filled it out and it actually had how many Instagram followers do you have? That was the first time I'd ever seen that, and I know, and I was, I was like, okay, this is a self-tape Costco commercial, and you want to yeah. know? I think it's a very big thing, and mainly in commercial. I hear a lot of people, a lot of dancers actually in LA who are commercial dancers. That's a huge thing. But I think I very much so in commercials because I also I went and I booked a Bud Light print ad a few years ago, and it was right after I got Aladdin. And I do think part of the reason I got it is because at that point I had 4,000 followers. Mm. Yeah, it's so crazy. It's crazy, yeah. and it's so fascinating. And I did have resistance to that in the beginning because, of course, as an artist, you always want to be like, it's about my art. Right. You know, it's a, it should be about my talent. And it should be 100%, but it's not. Yeah. It's just the reality of the business we're in. It's a business. Yep. And now part of that business is social media. While I do think that is great, I also think it sucks sometimes. No, I agree. I think there's so many positives and so many negatives. Yeah. So you mentioned your happy relationship, and that's a perfect segue because oh, cool. one of the things I've learned this summer is that I'm ready to be in a relationship oh, yeah. and that I like sharing my life with someone that gets my creativity and gets what I do. And, you know, I mean, I had a, a lovely experience, but it's hard when you're out of town and you meet someone. Yeah. So I've been observing people that do it successfully. You and Sean Patrick, a great Irish name. Sean Patrick uh, Grady. <laughs> you've been together for a long time yeah. and you're both in the business and you're both apart from each other a lot. Mm -hmm. This is also for me, not just for the listeners. <laughs> no, how do you make that successful? Because that just seems so challenging and exciting and different. There's a lot of people here that there's one person that saw their uh, husband once in six months wow. because they have a full-time job. Yeah. So how do, how do you and Sean Patrick do it? I think what's been helpful for us is that we started before we were long distance. We both went to college together and he was a year below me. We were friends for about two years establishing that relationship mm -hmm. and then we started dating my junior year of college. So we had a full year of being able to establish ourselves as a couple, even if we didn't really know who we are. Right. We were in college. So I think that has helped. But also, like you said, he understands the world we live in, and I understand the world he lives in because he's an actor as well. So we kind of went into it just knowing, okay, like you take the job you're given, and we're probably going to have some long-distance stuff. Right. I mean, we've been together for six years now. We've been long-distance. I wouldn't be surprised if we totaled it probably for about three. Wow. If you piece it all together. But it's been challenging. I yeah. mean, we've gone through not great times. I think the worst time was when I was on the cruise ship. I was doing a cruise, doing Mamma Mia on Royal Caribbean, and I was in Europe. And it was an 11-month contract, oh. which is rough. But we were able to make it. So pretty much we, the longest we were apart was, I think it was about four months. But that was at the end of the contract, and it was that was hard. Yeah. And we learned a lot about each other from that. I think it was just at least in ours, it's always come back to honesty. You're in a world with beautiful people all around you. Yeah. Beautiful, gorgeous men all the time. Yeah. And for us, we've grown together and separately. And being able to accept where we are in our lives, because we're also in different parts of our careers. You know, I had a relationships before him, but he's this is his first relationship he's ever been in. Mm. We know we're gonna get married, so like, Aww. we're kind of in different parts of our life, but we're going together. And that, the biggest thing for us has just been openness and being honest, like, okay, this is what I'm going through. But that's not something we've always had. Right. It was, it really, honestly, that cruise contract was what put us over the edge of like, okay, we have to figure out how to talk to each other and how to interact. I think the thing that sucks most about long distance is every time you talk to your significant other, you just want to talk about good stuff. You just want to like... Yes. You're automatically going to want to pass over the negative because you have this little time with them. Yeah. And so when you're on the phone, you just kind of want to be like, yeah, I'm like living my life, it's great, how are you doing? saw this great movie, whatever, but 
it's taken us a few years to realize, okay, sometimes you have to have real conversations about my anxiety or my depression or I saw this guy and thought he's attractive or I think this guy likes me and, like, we just have to be talking yeah. about it. Like I said, growing together. And even looking at, like, three years ago, where we were as a couple wouldn't work for where we are now, if that makes sense. Like, we just had to understand we're human beings. Yeah. And we just have to work it out together. Yeah. It also helps that he's, like, my best friend. And so... Yes. I just had that conversation with, with someone. Yeah. <laughs> that talked about, like, I think we're going to become best friends. And that will be our alternative. And, and it's interesting, because isn't it your best friend that you want to spend your life with? No. Yeah. But I think that a lot of people don't. They have, like, their best friend. I think that that's the goal, anyway. Yeah. I think that that's what another thing I've decided. I was like, oh, that's really what what I want, you know? Oh, 100%. Yeah. Like, I've been in a few relationships before Sean, and I don't think any of them could have been labeled as my best friend. Like like you said, I had them, and then I, then I had my best friends. Right. And I still have other best friends. Oh, absolutely. But that's something that has been the best with Sean, is that we just want to hang out with each other. Yeah. And, like, we like, we like each other, <laughs> and we have similar likes, but we have similar, like, we have dislikes, and we just understand that about each other, and that's just wanting to hang out with somebody you love is the best. Yeah. And I think the healthiest yeah it's also what I know so it's easier right. for me to say that and it makes the drama of show business and the stakes of like yeah. the silly things that we do uh, for a career that I mean I'm so grateful yeah. that I get to do this for a career that sometimes when when you have someone else to go home and all of a sudden put their focus on because we're very selfish beasts in show business yeah you, you're forced to be so it's nice that you can have someone else to put your focus on for once oh it's so nice and also, at least for me, it's helped a lot in New York. Because mm. New York is a hard city to live in. Yes. Even when you're successful, it is, it's a hard city to live in. And both Sean and I, really, we've been living together now for, I think this is coming into our third year of the same apartment in New York. And that's been such a big help for us. Yeah. Even with him, you know, he's still auditioning, he has a survival job, he gets like, gigs here and there. He's still in the grind. I'm in a much more steady situation. But it's been so nice to just have a home and to kind of like separate yourself from, like you said, from that craziness of this theater life that we're living. Yeah. And to just go home and ask them about, you know, ask Sean about his day. And also I have a dog and a cat. It's not a relationship thing, but it is. We share this yeah. little family. Yeah. That forces us to like stop focusing so much on ourselves. Yeah. Which is really nice. And it's relaxing, even when it's stressful. Yeah. <laughs> so what would you consider your career highlight so far my career highlight I think honestly rest of my life which is a very specific but I think it's something that I've always I've always wanted to be capable of doing is having real emotion in a musical setting right and also just happen to have this incredible song that's the goal yeah as a musical theater performer and for someone who I truly cherish being open on stage because I'm not super open in real life emotionally and so I, I, that's kind of my release. And so being able to have that opportunity and being able to take advantage of it has been a career highlight for me and something that I didn't know I was capable of. You're yeah. more than capable of it. You're, oh, you're, thank you. You're brilliant. It just was, it was a nice surprise to be yeah. like, I can do this almost every show. <laughs> There's a few shows where I'm in my head, whatever. No. It happens. Yeah. And I'm not going to force it, but I do think that it's a highlight and it's also got kind of a milestone in my career. Yeah. To see what else I can do beyond this is pretty cool. Yeah. Is there something that out of nowhere you're afraid of that you just know that you're afraid of? That I'm afraid of in, in just career? In, yeah, in life. I've never asked this question before. Oh, okay. It's on the list, though. No. Oh, that's fine. <laughs> no, it's just like all of a sudden I think I'm at a point of like facing fears. Yeah. Your performance on stage shows that you're fearless. Oh, but I was just curious if there is stuff that you're afraid of. Yeah. I think my biggest thing is getting stagnant. Mm. Because if you look at, especially in the type of job that I have in New York, it's a long-running show. People stay in it for years because they can. And some people love it. Yeah. Like, that's what they love to do. But my fear is, is getting caught in that kind of comfort and not pushing myself either out of that situation or to get to the next level. That's my fear is coming so far and then just everything stopping. Yeah. And that's, that can happen in this career. You can get the rug pulled out from under you. Yeah. Or you can just get stuck. And I see people who get stuck and who don't want that, and they're not happy people. Yeah. And that sucks. Yeah. So that's, that's my biggest fear, which it can be a reality. Yeah. Hopefully it won't be. No, 
when you said rug, I just think thought about a flying carpet. Me too. The second I said it, the se- I thought of the literally the flying carpet. How dare uh, I? No, it's great. This has been a brilliant interview. It's fun. I share dressing with you sometimes. It's a crazy room in there. So um, oh my god, I never see you. I see you like on stage. And yeah. I love sharing the stage with you. What song could I roll off for the credits? Would you play? Play us out. I think the song that has been the song of my summer is "Golden Hour" by Casey Musgraves. Actually. Great. Yeah. I don't know it, so no. I'm it's a beautiful song, and it's chill happiness about focusing on the good stuff in life. Done. Yeah. Thank you very much. Thank you. All that I-